A lot of you have been asking me for insomnia treatment options, so I want to let you know I have launched an insomnia treatment course. It's a very structured and effective treatment program with a lot of clinical evidence support. So one course is in Chinese and one is in English. You can find it at deepintosleep.co forward slash insomnia. Do you feel lonely? Do you have friends? Do you know how the feeling of loneliness impacts our sleep? Today, I have psychologist Dr. Adam Dossey, also a host of the podcast Super Psyched, come to our podcast and share his expertise about friendship and loneliness. Hi, Dr. Dossey. Welcome to Deep Into Sleep podcast. Oh, thank you so much for welcoming me to your podcast, Dr. Xu. I've been listening to it, and I think it's a fantastic podcast. I'm so excited to have you because I know you also host a podcast, and you are also an expert in the field of studying friendship. Uh, can you introduce yourself to our audience more and tell us more about your podcast? I'm more than happy to. I'm a private practicing psychologist in Silicon Valley, and I work with generally high-functioning adults, and I love what I do. I also am a resiliency expert. I've created programs at Facebook and DigitalOcean where I act as a consultant. And uh, one of my other specialties is working with men. I gave a TEDx talk on men and emotions, and it's called the emotions the data men miss because oftentimes men seem to miss the data of their emotions. And I've taken a great interest in friendship as a factor. A great many of the people who come to see me in my office are incredible people who complain that they don't have good friends in their life. And were it ethical, were it not illegal, I would love to be the friends of some of these folks who come to see me. But of course, I can't given my position as a psychologist. And one of the skills that I help them with is cultivating friendship in their life, which is often very uncomfortable because they're used to being very good at things and friendship they're not so good at. And there's not exactly a manual on how to do friendship. Uh, one of my favorite movies was a movie starring Paul Rudd and Jason Segel. It's called I Love You, Man. And the character played by Paul Rudd is about to get married. And he realizes that his fiance has a ton of friends who are going to be bridesmaids. And he has no friends. And... <laughs> And, you know, and it's funny and it's terribly sad. And it's actually turns out it's profoundly toxic to our health to not have good friendships. It's I mean, I'll talk about that later. The, the health measures in terms of the loneliness factor. But, um, you know, one of the common things that happened, I mean, you and I have both lived in various places throughout the world uh, and when we grow up as kids, we always have friends nearby. We can play with somebody on the street. Then we go off to high school and then there are cliques that form. And then uh, where are my friends and who? how do I fit in? And then in college, possibly some really good friendships are cultivated, but after the four-year experience, they disperse and they move to different cities and then they sometimes get transferred to jobs. And so keeping these friendships, maintaining these friendships, is very difficult. And oftentimes they're very friendable people, people with very attractive qualities. And yet their best friend is somebody they get in touch with every few years for a brief visit, or 
maybe connect with via email here and there, or sometimes in some cases, their best friends become ESPN, TV, social media, but not real in real life human experience. And that's not how our brains are wired to be. Yeah, exactly. Wow. There's so many great points you just mentioned. I can totally relate myself. Similar to you, I travel mm. around. I grew up in China. So and I went to school in East Coast. Now I'm in West Coast. So a lot of friends, I can only talk to them online and call them once every several years, for example, my graduate school roommate, uh, I call her and we both talk about, wow, last time we talked was like, how many years ago? Five years ago? Oh, my goodness, right? <laughs> and last year, for sure, I saw so many of old colleagues, old friends on TV, uh, because they are professors now, they talk about psychology, they talk about other things. And I think through the pandemic, especially loneliness, right? Lack of social support and how to reconnect with other human being, especially friendship. It's it's become a more important and topic on top of our mind mostly. And definitely I know lack of social support or you are not able to see your friends face to face. Those start eating us up, especially in the nighttime, I think when we are alone, in the dark, when we try to fall asleep, we start thinking about our life. And part of that is friendship. You know, when I think about what you're saying, I think about the evolution of our brains relative to the evolution of society itself. I would guess that if you and I were, could go back in time in a time machine, and maybe let's say 150 years, and we could visit the villages of our ancestors. Mine would be in Eastern Europe. I imagine yours would be in mainland China. And what we'd see is that people had their houses near each other, and there was more of a communal living style. And I would also guess that for hundreds of years prior, that's how society worked. And one of the things that we love is being in groups. And these days, if we get married, our spouse is meant to be the entire village. And no one's spouse can be an entire village. We need more people in our lives and preferably really good people. And as you said, when we think about our lives and we feel empty and have trouble sleeping, sure, one of the quickest ways to feel like our glass of life is more full is the quality of our relationships. And if we have high quality relationships, it's in, in fact, the studies indicate that it's actually the quality of our relationships, not the quantity of our relationships. And one of the things that you see is how many friends do you have on social media? And it's almost like just a numbers game. And these are peripheral people who we really have no contact with, in some case, random people that we've never even met and they are quote friends on facebook and while we may have a perceived sense of social support through these mediums uh it's not the same as in real life and we really need to have quality deep relationships where we can actually be vulnerable and let ourselves be known and be known by another you know uh one of the great uh one of the great fathers of our field was Douglas, uh, Donald Winnicott. And he said something like, I'm going to paraphrase it poorly, true mental health can be exhibited by knowing another and allowing another to be known. 
Um, so it's that kind of interplay, that upload and download of knowing another person and letting yourself be known. And a lot of us, due to shame uh, that is real or perceived, are unwilling to really show up and be vulnerable. And uh, thankfully, people like Brene Brown are coming to the mm, front right. and talking about that we can only be as courageous as we are vulnerable. And she's inspiring people to show their vulnerabilities uh, and to be real. And by the way, one of the fallacies that somebody might have is being real means being a jerk. It does not mean being <laughs> a jerk. It means it means it means sharing your reality with another person, and of course simultaneously being a kind person in the process. Uh, one of the, my favorite findings was that there are three kind of overarching criteria in friendship, and they include integrity, caring, and congeniality. These are perhaps slightly difficult to define, but integrity really means the ability to show up for your friends reliably. Um, the caring is actually having the space to let another person's experience in and really take in that other person's experience. And the congeniality means kind of not being a jerk, but being, uh, you know, having maybe some levity, some humor at appropriate times, not of course making fun of a person's problems uh, in, a, in a kind of a demeaning or sarcastic way, but having the ability to share laughter, having the ability to share in both uh, the successes and failures uh, of life. And uh, we do need that. And I can, you make a really good case for how it might interfere with sleep. Yeah, I really love that to, to learn more from you about these key factors actually help us promote the quality of friendship, which so interesting, similar to how we talk about sleep, right? We say it's the quality of your sleep that matters, mm. not the quantity <laughs> of your sleep. I think for friendship, it's, <laughs> it's so similar. And when you talk about earlier, those like uh, online uh, like how many friends we have on a social media. That's so funny. That's become uh, how we live our life, especially last year, right? Pandemic, we all live a long, long life. And uh, in China, in Chinese, we have a way to say friends like that are like plastic friends. I don't know whether it makes sense here. It's like a totally. plastic flower, right? It's not real plants like my plants behind me. They are real. But <laughs> if they are plastic, it's is that high quality friendship or is like, you know, only for fun or not reliable, like you said, don't really care each other genuinely. That matters a lot. So I want to ask you from your point of view, like when we interact with people, online in our friend circle versus real life friend circle. And uh, if we connect with friends like through Zoom, through video call versus face-to-face -face, in person, uh, hang out, does that really make a difference for us how we build the quality of the friendship? So first off, I want to just just play on something that you said about your plants being artificial. And that is, they don't produce oxygen. And I think that you, in as much as you just really were so able to connect the quality of sleep and the quality of friendships as being a really kind of a one-to-one -one comparison, I think that one could say, yes, indeed, uh, like plants, uh, friendships do need to produce oxygen, some form of life force. 
But in terms of meeting via Zoom, as we are doing, particularly during COVID, uh, I would say it's far better than texting, far better than email, um, and possibly better than phone. Although old school phone has certain benefits. I'm going to talk about phone. I'm going to talk about Zoom. I don't have hard numbers to corroborate what I'm about to say. So these are based on my own conjecture as well as my own experience working clinically based on what I've heard from people. But there's something magical about the old school phone, actually taking time and not multitasking while on the phone. I don't know if you ever had this experience, but I remember when I was in college, freshman year, I had a roommate and we would talk in our room with the light off and we would share deep secrets, things that we might not share if we could look at each other. So there is an advantage to a phone in certain ways. You hear the human voice, uh, even though it's going through a satellite, you know, way, way above our heads and coming back down, we are still able to hear uh, that voice. And it's not artificial like the plant. It's we can actually hear the intonation, a lot of the nonverbal pieces that are not available in text. Um, not available in a thumbs up or a heart or a caring signal symbol on uh, Facebook, which by the way, are not bad. Uh, they do add to our overall sense of perceived support in some way, but the real money, so to speak, is in the quality of our connection via voice at the very least. And phone, as I mentioned, I does have what I perceive to be an advantage. Uh, in, in that you're not seeing the other person's face and perhaps willing to disclose something. But of course, as you and I are doing right now, seeing the other person's face, the face conveys so much. Uh, I don't recall the exact number of, of qualities uh, in, within communication a face can convey, but I do remember there was a great documentary starring John Cleese uh, in which he was describing the nuances of the human face, what we're able to convey via the face. And you've probably also seen the still face experiment out of Harvard and MassGen with Ed Tronic, where he shows what happens even to a baby who's exposed to either a face of someone who's really attuned or a face of somebody who's just going blank. And the face can convey a lot. Of course, if you're with somebody who doesn't give you much facial expression or doesn't show you attunement or appears to be texting while they're on the phone or clearly is thinking about other things or maybe just spacing, showing you some indication that they're not tracking with you. Uh, we have tons of evidence that that is actually really bad news. Um, Dan Siegel talks about a, a great concept and I, I'm going to say it so that your listeners can hear it and they can repeat it. It's a, a multisyllabic term, interpersonal neurobiology. I love that word, uh, that, that phrase in that within the interpersonal connection, our mutual neurobiologies, our brains are kind of connecting and syncing up. You and I are both nodding right now. The listener can't see that, but you and I are both smiling and nodding. And there's an interpersonal neurobiological exchange that is going on between us. And that is a big benefit of Zoom or any video medium that's used. FaceTime, I, you know, it doesn't have to be Zoom and uh, we are no way, uh, uh, endorsing Zoom as, as a product ex exclusively, although I know you and I both use it in our practices with a HIPAA compliant uh, business associates agreement. But uh, I've also noticed that 
if I have a pre-existing rapport with uh, the people who come to see me uh, in person, uh, my Zoom experiences have been better on average than they were, than they might be perhaps. Um, I've had good experiences actually, even with people who are seeing me for the first time uh, via Zoom. Um, so it's obviously preferable to say text. As it relates to friendship, Zoom really presents a great opportunity. And that is, I could talk to somebody in China. And of course, the only real competing element is the time difference. But if we're, a, and, and of course, being quote, busy. But the return on the investment to sit down with a friend and have a virtual, cup. you and I are both drinking tea uh, right now. Yeah. Uh, and to have a virtual cup of tea or whatever you're drinking or even playing a game together, it can be so important to our physical and mental well-being. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and Zoom does provide that opportunity to go beyond what were traditionally perceived as boundaries. Definitely. Personally, I feel the same way. I personally, I like to put people's face, facial expression together. I feel more connected emotionally that way. Um, for phone calls, even though I know that person very well, then, well, I still feel like something is missing, right? But if it's a stranger over the phone, actually, I don't like to make phone calls in general. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people feel that way. Yeah, people I get just, awkward over the phone. Yeah, nowadays, somehow, I, I've been thinking about maybe that's a language barrier. I have to talk to someone I don't know over the phone in English, a second language of mine. But I realized, well, maybe it's also something else, right? But when you mention all this, it makes me thinking nowadays, a lot of young people like teenagers, college students, children, you see, they, when they hang out with their, their friends, they are all on their own phone, but they are hanging out together kind of passively. Is that really fun? Is that really high quality of time? So I would say... No, even though they might say, oh, this is just how we, this is how we hang. This is how, so it's probably better than not being together. But Simon Sinek, who's one of my favorite thinkers, has a basic idea. And that is if you're going to hang out with friends, it has to be a no phone zone. The phones go away so that we can go old school and actually connect like human beings. And sadly, I do see this as a threat to our ability to connect with other people. The natives, the digital natives who grew up with a phone in their hand um, may lose some of that comfort in being face-to-face, eye-to-eye for a period of time, and they may feel awkward. And I think that one of the things that is another threat is COVID itself is probably going to multiply that effect somewhat because we now can't actually sit in close proximity with other people. And I don't think the human brain has evolved as fast as technology has. The human brain is still, well, according to some estimations, the same as it was for our ancestors well over 30,000 years, possibly a lot more. Um, and yet the technology and the contexts have changed so drastically that we've ended up with a net result of profound loneliness. And 
Vivek Murthy, uh, Dr. Vivek Murthy, who's now, I believe, going to be the Surgeon General once again, but he has been in history. Uh, he recognized that there was a public health epidemic of loneliness. Oh. And the studies indicate that loneliness can be more detrimental to our physical health than certain readings of cholesterol, certain numbers of uh, cigarette smoking. I think loneliness can be as detrimental as 15 cigarettes smoked per day wow. um, and a host of other conventional me measures. And that's further corroborated by a study that came out of Harvard. It's called, I believe, the Cambridge study, but I'd have to look it up, in which it was a longitudinal study, meaning that it's gone over the course of 75 years looking at two groups of, of males. Harvard students, as well as people from the south of Boston. Um, Harvard students, obviously, were very well educated, kind of top tier. South of Boston was more of a working class neighborhood not far away. And what they looked at was what were the factors that appeared to be correlated with living physically healthy? And the top criterion was the quality of our relationships. That's how big of a deal it is. So when you ask about kids sitting together with cell phones, uh, I mean, not cell phones, <laughs> obviously smartphones, uh, kind of doing it together. The answer is, I don't know. I would love to see a functional MRI to see what um, zones of the brain light up uh, or are active um, in the presence and in the absence. My hypothesis would be that if people could lose the phone, that the net effect would be um, that our endogenous oxytocin, serotonin, other feel-good hormones uh, would be far more active. And of course, that wouldn't be corroborated by a functional MRI. That would have to be done through other tests. But um, those are what we need to kind of ward off the potentially toxic effects of cortisol, which of course is a necessary um, part of our functioning. But we also need, we need the love chemicals that can only be found through relating to another person. Uh, I shouldn't say only relating to another person. I mean, there is evidence that connecting with a pet can also release those. Um, but we really, we do need people is, is what the bottom line is. People <laughs> need people. And I would think that to your point earlier, yeah, our sleep probably needs quality relationships uh, so that we can feel that sense of safety, that sense of well-being, that sense of connection that only a high-quality interpersonal exchange provides. Yeah, definitely. When you talk about those research, it's amazing. Get me think. Wow, nowadays, right? A lot of us thinking, well, I just need to eat healthy, try to sleep well. I um, make sure I have a healthy lifestyle. But if we are lonely, <laughs> even we do all the other things, if emotionally we are so lonely or we just don't know how to build a meaningful and high quality relationship with other friends, with other people, wow, that actually start hurting ourselves much more than what we could imagine. You got it. And it's particularly, I think, risky, I would say one of the higher risk groups is the high achieving group of people who are not comfortable doing something imperfectly or perhaps not excelling. Um, because a lot of people may think, you know, I'm not really good at reaching out to people. And what if they reject me? And that goes way back, way deep into our systems of, 
you know, if we're, if we're rejected, uh, my gosh, it could be, you know, back, you know, several hundred years ago or a thousand years ago, if we were somehow banished from our, from our group, it usually meant our death. So when we feel rejected by another person, it harkens back to that sense of, oh my gosh, it's, it's like, part of me feels like I just got killed um, by this other person, even though if, if with good, with good reflection for, from perhaps um, another friend uh, <laughs> or a therapist um, uh, or even reading about feel about feeling rejection and realizing that we're not alone, that rejection is something that is part of life and it is something we can overcome. And it's probably worth the gamble of trying to cultivate good friendship or trying to find the right mate. Uh, mate selection is something that very smart people are often not very good at because there's no class for it. There's no class in how to find and choose the best mate for yourself. There's no class even in how to relate. Once you've found that person, um, fortunately, uh, you know, therapy is available and couples therapy is available and books uh, written by luminaries in the field of relationships like uh, Harville Hendricks and uh, Stan Tatkin, um, and of course, John Gottman have written extensively about how to have a better hit rate when you're actually connecting with your spouse. A lot of those um, basic principles apply to friendship as well. And it behooves us to study those and to tolerate not being good at them for a while as we acquire the skill to become good at those skills. Yeah, so it sounds like there are definitely ways to improve to really help us out if that's a tough area for us. And from what you just shared, one thing is clear to me that avoidance won't help us, right? <laughs> if we reach out to, to other people, try to build a friendship, at least we possibly have 50% of chance of getting one. If we don't reach out ever, <laughs> what's the chance going to be? Are we just waiting all the time? Other people suddenly like us so much, going to come to us. And it's just a very interesting dynamic when you talk about that, I was just thinking. And the human tendency is to do that exactly, is to avoid. And what do we know about avoidance? Well, it seems to be at the heart of all anxiety. And the best way to reduce anxiety is to confront and to approach. And if we are willing to just tolerate sucking at doing something, that's something that very few people are willing to do as evidenced by the number of people who are willing to learn a foreign language. A lot of people academically have studied for five years a foreign language, but you put them into a situation to speak that foreign language, they're not very good because they didn't tolerate sucking at the language. They think, well, you know, well-educated, I can't suck. But the people who speak foreign languages have had to tolerate sucking. And the same thing holds true when it comes to friendship. You're gonna have to, you're gonna face plant. Um, you're gonna make mistakes. You're gonna say it wrong. And the important thing to have there is the ability to repair the friendship when mistakes are made the ability to tolerate rejection, the ability to realize that maybe, oh gosh, I need to reject. Like maybe this is not a good friendship for me. Maybe the person I'm sitting with doesn't champion me. Maybe the person I'm sitting with 
only talks but doesn't listen. Maybe the person I'm sitting with um, really uh, engages in bad habits and insists that in order for me to be in the friendship, I too must engage in those habits. It's important to be able to walk away and perhaps to walk away gracefully and to even be willing to name it as you do so. I know it could be very awkward. A lot of people prefer the ghosting method and just, okay, I'm gone. Um, and in some cases, you know, a, a gratitude uh, message of some kind of what has been good in the friendship and the ability to walk away uh, either internally and just at least saying it to yourself or perhaps to the other person in a written or spoken form. Uh, of course, there's no one size fits all for uh, selection of friends and perhaps the willingness to walk away. But um, it's really important to listen to your body and to your brain. I have a thing that I call the drive away test uh -huh. uh, during non-COVID times. And that is if you, let's say you drive to a halfway point to meet a friend, your friend lives in San Francisco and you live in San Jose and you meet up in Palo Alto and you meet up for coffee. And as you're driving away, you feel taller, you feel happier, you feel more full of life. That's a good sign. <laughs> That's a really good sign that maybe this is a good friendship. And the other drive away test, uh, the other result could be you drive away feeling smaller, deflated, maybe a little bit like what, what happened over the last two hours? I, I didn't get to share any of my life. That's not great. Um, now, doesn't mean that you're always going to drive away from every friendship or hang up from every conversation feeling taller, happier, championed. But in the balance of things, it should be more, way more hits than misses. Oh, I love this drive away test. I'm going to start uh, borrowing it and tell my friends and other people, hey, you know, a quick self-test, right? <laughs> to a, a, a re really good self-reflection. And sounds like people really need to be prepared mentally and just go ahead, approach the situation with some respect, with some boundary. Absolutely. Respect and boundaries are also so crucial. We are different people um, with different realities and different tastes. And if let's, I mean, I'm just going to use a silly example. If you and I go order ice cream and I order a flavor and then you order a flavor and I make fun of the or flavor that you order. Okay. Um, but I could, what if I got curious and said, oh, wow, well, what do you love about that flavor? I'm, I'm surprised. I didn't know. And you tell me, oh, my gosh, uh, you know, bubble, I'm going to use bubble gum ice cream, which I think is like a flavor that I can't quite understand. And you were to tell me, oh, it, it, here's what it does for me. It takes me back to my childhood. And I remember, you know, the sweet times with my mom and my grandma, who I miss so much. I always got, you know, it's objectively not the greatest flavor in the world, but it takes me back well, that's a nice friendship reaction of curiosity rather than somehow slamming your friend or maybe even championing like, oh, there you go. You ordered, you ordered the bubble gum. That's, that's, that's my, that's my buddy. You know, like that is really, that's really funny and, and wonderful that you order bubble gum ice cream. I love the difference. And that's, you know, respect and boundary can even be celebrating the differences of us. Like, I would never go for bubblegum ice cream, but I love it that you do. Um, and I think there's 
so much to celebrate uh, in the in the in the differences of who we are, as well as of course feeling joined. If you and I both like, wow, there we go again. We ordered the same flavor. That's that's awesome. We are we are we are the dark chocolate twins. It's like okay. Yeah, I love that energy of curiosity and really let go of judgment and just be there and enjoy each other, be curious and understand the other person and give the other person a chance to understand ourselves, right? That's that's about friendship. That's a- It's about friendship. And, you know, I know uh, that you and I both have some connection around uh, Chinese characters. I used to live in Japan and the idea of between people. Mm. Uh, if you think about that, like that's a really, really important thing. Trust, respect. Um, I love the Chinese character for trust. It's a, it's, it's a, a person standing next to the word. It's like, oh, that's amazing. And if you think about how deeply embedded that is, a person must stand by their word. And that's a sign of respect at the deepest level. And I think about somebody in my area, his name was Martin Buber, and he talked about two different types of relationships. It could be an I and thou or an I and it relationship. And I and it relationships are not good. It's when we treat another person more like an object. Let's say that you and I are at a uh, restaurant together and the wait person comes by and I say, give me water. Versus you know, saying hello to the wait person and saying, hey, I would love a glass of water and treating them like with the respect that you talked about. That's an I and thou relationship. And it's very crucial that we do our best to have I and thou relationships with all types of people, recognizing that we are all, you know, we're all people and and we're connected. And in as much as if I watch a movie, and somebody gets hit in the stomach, I, I tend to fall out of my, uh, off the sofa watching that, uh, or movie chair if I was, if it was during non-COVID times, because I feel a connection with that person. And it's, that's probably one of the most important parts of being human, that empathy, that um, part of our brains that maybe uh, may correspond with what, what are called mirror neurons, uh, that ability to feel another person's feel and be in that I and thou space. Uh, I just, I can't say enough good things about being there. And it's not just a selfless act. It's a very selfish act because by being more connected to other people, I feel it too. And then when I go to bed at night, I have a better sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for looping back to the sleep. That's so important. (laughs) That's so interesting. I I totally agree and uh, um, connect to all what you say. So I'm start thinking for a lot of people who are listening, right? If right now they feel very lonely, they want to have somewhere to get started, like you say, to approach that they, they somewhat ready want to do something to help themselves feel less lonely. Anywhere you, the, you know, any advice where they could get started? Absolutely. And the first place you're going to want to look is on your contact list. You said that you have a roommate from graduate school and you speak every five years. You reach out to that person if you think it's a really good connect and say, hey, we only talk one every five years. That's one time in 1,825 days. That's not very 
frequent. I would like to increase it to twice a month. I want to have a virtual get together with you by phone or by Zoom. And the friend will be like, whoa, <laughs> you know, uh, they and they may not even know that they want it themselves. There's I, I'm sure you've experienced something that you didn't even know that you wanted and you got it. And oh, my gosh, it was great. Um, Steve Jobs famously sold the iPad to the public in a public that didn't even know it wanted an iPad. That was one of the things that made Steve Jobs so good. And we can do that with our friendships. We didn't even know how important it was to us, every ounce of our being to reach out to somebody with whom we haven't been in touch for a long time. So the first place I would go is look through your memory, look through your con contacts, ask yourself, who am I not in contact with, who I have been in contact with, and they've already proven themselves to have the characteristics of a good friend. The second place I'd go is I'd ask myself, who appears to be a good prospect based on just maybe some data points? Um, it could be that the other person thinks very differently from the way you think, and that's actually often a very good thing, but that they have similar values. Like maybe they're politically divergent from the way you think. Maybe they are people who refuse to um, do the traditional thing and get married and have children, and you are. Uh, it doesn't matter that you're different in those ways. Maybe the values of integrity and decency and you know, learning to grow within this lifetime and evolve. Maybe those are, maybe those are things that you share in common. Um, and I would remind the listener of a quote, one of my all-time favorite quotes that came from, again, somebody who is very different from who I am. He's from a different generation. He's Texan. He's probably politically quite different from how, how I operate. Um, and <laughs> his, uh, his name was, is, is Ross Perot and he's amazing. And one of the things he said was that Eagles do not flock. You have to find them one by one. And I would say that, remember, it's not the quantity of friends in high school. We were sold an idea that to be popular is important and it was the quantity that mattered, but actually that turns out to be false. And I've even talked to the popular people from my high school who said they were often very lonely Aww. relative to uh, the less popular people who had really good, high quality friendships. So try to cultivate those friendships. Reach out to somebody. It's really awkward initially saying, hey, I'd like to reach out to you. I'd like to have, you know, a, a virtual meal during COVID or you know, after the vaccination, hopefully we'll be able to meet in person, but I'd like to hang out with you. I'd like to get to know you a little bit more. And people are often very shy to do that, feel very awkward. And I would say that with repetition of doing that, and you and I both know that if you expose yourself to the thing that makes you anxious, you'll get more less and less anxious over time in doing it. You may never love doing it, but you will become less anxious in doing it. So I'd also recommend that this is a numbers game. Some people will not be interested. Some people, you will think that you might have a good connection and you don't. Um, but some people will be treasures and friends that you had no idea. And had you not taken the risk, you would have never found out. Wow. I love those <laughs> suggestions. I love them all. So 
all the listeners, right? If you're listening to this, try this and let me know how it goes. <laughs> let Dr. Dorsey know how it goes. So Dr. Dorsey, this is great. So if our listeners uh, really love what you shared, they want listen to your podcast or they want to find your practice and make an appointment with you, how can they find those information? Oh, thanks for asking, Dashu. And I've just so enjoyed our, I'm just so enjoying our conversation and uh, so grateful to be on the show. They can find me at www.dradamdorsay, and that's spelled D-R-A-D-A-M-D-O-R-S-A-Y.com. They can also find my podcast. Uh, it is called Super Psyched, as in I was super psyched to talk with you this afternoon. Um, and Super Psyched is actually meant to be kind of a double entendre in that uh, it's supposed to be super psych education as well. So not only is it supposed to be a feeling of being super psyched, but it's also intended to provide super psychology education through the voices of experts from within the field of psychology and from way outside the field of psychology who are talking about psychological phenomena in a way that can be easily understood and integrated into the listener's life. Wonderful. So listeners, if you want to learn more about really practical, uh, easy to understand psychology knowledge, right? And to think about life in general, go to um, Dr. Dorsey's podcast, Supersect, to find more. Thank you, Dr. Dorsey, for coming to the show. Dr. Xu, it's been a total pleasure. Thank you. So hopefully I will get you back to talk more in the future. Feels like you have so much wonderful stuff to share. Well, I enjoy connecting with you and it would be a pleasure to come back. Great. So this is my conversation with Dr. Dorsey. If there's one thing from our conversation really stays with you, tell me what it is. You can message me or email me. If you want to find more about Dr. Dorsey's um, practice, you can go to his website, dradamdorsey.com. You can also find the link to his podcast there. You can also find everything on our show notes at deepintosleep.co. Thank you for coming to Deep Into Sleep podcast. I'm your host, Ishan. I will see you next week. Sleep is an individual thing. We all sleep differently, and there is so much we can do to improve sleep quality. Keep hope and carry on. This podcast is for general informational purpose only and does not include the practice of medicine or other health professional services. Usage of the information we share is at the listener's own risk. And our content does not intend to be a substitute for any medical and professional services, diagnoses, and treatment. Please seek professional health services as needed. Are you suffering from insomnia? I promise you, the CBTI method in my course will definitely help you. Even if several nights of better sleep, that would be a world-changing experience for you. I have had so many success from my insomnia patients who have taken this course over the years. If you know someone who is struggling with sleep, go to my website and check out my course at deepintosleep.co forward slash insomnia.